0: Uh, Would you pray with me, please? Spirit of love and spirit of life, may my words be your words, may our ears be your ears, and may our hearts be your hearts. We pray this in your name, amen. The year was 1873, and a well-to-do American family had packed their suitcases to set off on holiday, and at the last minute, father had to stay home because of business. But mother and their four girls, they set off without him, eager to go on their journey. So onto the ship they went, carrying bag after bag, trunk after trunk, and a couple of toys to keep the kids happy. The trip would be long from New York City to Paris, so the family settled in for uh, their long adventure. For a week, everything was great. Games on the top deck, music in the parlor, uh, meals in the dining hall until one morning something hit the ship. Not an iceberg, but another ship. And the ship the family was sailing on was split in two. The masts fell down, the sails collapsed, the lifeboats were destroyed, and the ship sank in just 12 minutes. Over 200 passengers died very quickly. Rescue crews combed through the wreckage and found a woman floating on a piece of wood. She was alive but unconscious. This was the mother. Somehow she had survived, but sadly, her four daughters did not. When she finally got to Paris, she immediately telegraphed her husband and told him the news. He hopped on a boat headed for Europe immediately, and as they crossed the Atlantic, the captain brought him up to the cabin. And pointed out the spot in the ocean where his daughters had drowned and floating over that very spot he wrote a song it is well it is well with my soul this man's name was Horatio Spafford and it's hard for me to imagine how he could be standing over the water write these words in this searing pain of unexpectedly losing four loved ones, in the age-old cry of why, and in this unfair mystery of suffering. And somehow he is able to write a song of promise, a song of trust, and a song of hope. It's suffering that turns into hope. And these two things, suffering and hope, they're constantly intertwined. This morning, I know many of you in uh, the adult Sunday school, or whatever it's called here, um, class started studying the work of Karen Armstrong and her book, 12 Steps to a Compassionate Life. I am obsessed with her. She is absolutely remarkable. Her work is incredible. Um, For those who don't know, she's a scholar in comparative religion, and she studies the religions all over the world and looks for the ways they connect. And she wants to make it easy for us to see those connections between all the world's faiths, so we can live better together. Her work is just incredible. In 2008, she won the TED Prize for her Charter for Compassion, this invitation to join together to make the golden rule um, bring it back to its rightful place in the center of our lives around the world. It's absolutely ambitious and beautiful, beautiful work. But what you need to know is that her story, too, begins with suffering. Karen, uh, in the 1960s, she felt a call to the Catholic Church. So at 17, she became a nun. She saw, in this uh, convent, she saw a type of freedom. She she, She saw transformation. She saw a place with new possibilities in a world that was changing so, so fast. This was the 1960s. What she found there deeply traumatized her. If she disobeyed, the community punished her by sitting sitting her in front of a, a sewing machine with no needle for two weeks to watch it go up and down over and over again. She was forced to mutilate her skin with whips and wear chains of spikes around her wrists. But she soldiered on, and she writes about that experience. For years it seemed like a Lenten, a hard Lenten journey, but without any prospect of Easter. I toiled round and round in pointless circles, covering the same ground, repeating the same mistakes, and quite unable to see where I was going. Meanwhile, her body was falling apart. Hallucinations, amnesia, fainting spells. What would later be diagnosed as epilepsy, she was told was a failure of her own faith." What a picture. Lent with no Easter, failure with no victory, a journey with no end ever in sight. And yet after leaving her convent, here she is now, with compassion on her lips, suffering into hope. Now I know these are heavy stories, And I'm not telling you them to to, to bring you down, but I'm telling you them so we can remember this reality of suffering and hope together. And I know you might be saying, "I, I know suffering's real, of course I do. I know it in my own ways. I know it in stress, in physical pain, in anxiety, in depression, that list goes on. I know it in other ways too. Family members who are dealing with different relationship issues, or friends grieving over loved ones, coworkers losing jobs, and more and more of that. And I know it in the big ways. I know that in the last week, ICE members have been rounding up immigrants around the country, bringing them back to their home countries. I know that two huge celebrities in the world suffered alone and committed suicide this week. I know that the Supreme Court handed down decisions that are leaving people in anxiety about what their rights are in this country right now. I know suffering's real, and I'm overwhelmed by it. And I'm with you. Suffering is, if not a reality, the reality we live in. We live it every day, and it's easy to feel numb to that. So like the writer of It Is Well, or Karen Armstrong, where does hope come into the equation? And I wonder if compassion isn't that answer. Compassion isn't just knowing about suffering. It's not just thinking about what other people are dealing with. It's about deeply feeling one another's suffering and doing it together. It's about standing together in solidarity to carry one another's suffering and working together to act against it. Compassion is that place where hope and suffering come together. It's reality with a promise. And it is life-giving. It has a life-giving power to it. And I think that's what we see right at the center of our Christian story. And in our uh, scripture reading today, that's what Paul points to. Paul points to Jesus' death and resurrection as key moments that show us exactly who God is. Suffering is at the center of this. Jesus endures life's worst suffering. Suffering at his crucifixion. And I'm not just talking about the pain of a tortuous death, of thorns on his head and a knife in his side, or a slow suffocation. It's what we hear in his final words in the Gospel of Mark. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I hear so much in that. I hear complete and total abandonment I hear numbness and a disconnection from everyone and everything. I hear death in isolation. Jesus suffers consumed by this feeling that no one is on his side, not even God is on his side. And this isn't just a Jesus feeling. This is an incredibly honest, real human feeling. This is an I'm at my wit's end This is an I'm completely lost feeling. This is an I'm going around in circles and circles and circles feeling. It's a feeling we all can experience and many people do. But we know that Jesus's story doesn't end there. We see that Jesus was actually wrong and the Spirit was with him the entire time, suffering alongside him, suffering inside of him, and bringing him from death into life. Paul's words in Romans uh, that we just read together assure us that the same Spirit that never abandoned Jesus is with us also. And not just with us, he says that that Spirit dwells within us. Just like Jesus, when we cry out, Paul says, God's Spirit is there. When we suffer, Paul says, God's spirit is there. When we need a new start, Paul says, God's spirit is there. And what I love most about Paul is that he talks about how the spirit unites us all as children of God. And if we all share that same spirit, if you have it, and you have it, and you have it, and we all have it, we are bound together in this gorgeous web of compassion that is incredibly strong incredibly strong. It means that my cries are your cries, and yours are mine. It means that my healing is your healing, and yours is mine. The Spirit is compassion itself. That's the promise it gives us. The Spirit promises to never, ever leave us. The Spirit promises to give us strength in our suffering. The Spirit promises us to raise us into new life beyond our suffering, so we can do that for others, so we can share that same spirit of compassion with others around us. That's the spirit that was with Jesus as he suffered. That was the spirit that was with the writer of It Is Well, that transformed grief into words that we can sing over a hundred years later, to bring us comfort and healing in our suffering. And that's the spirit that was with Karen Armstrong that turned her horrific, traumatic pain into a call for compassion for the entire world. That's the spirit in you. All of you. And everyone out there. In 2009, I was dealing with my own version of suffering. An abusive church and unanswered questions that uh, I had about my own identity as a gay man sent me into depression that lasted years. I felt, like Karen Armstrong said, walking around in circles, in clouds, with no victory in sight, a lack of any type of meaning. And during that time, I needed to know that compassion was real. I needed to know that because I had nowhere else to find it. So I created this art project where I went out and I would ask random folks on the street, and I collected these in journals and videos and photos, I would ask them one question, what do you hope for? And I heard all sorts of responses, everything from the basic, I hope to be happy and healthy, I hope for more money, I hope um, that my family gets along, to deep, deep, profound hopes of, I hope this phantom pain in my left arm that just started last week goes away. I hope that my nephew gets brought back to me because the state took him several months ago and I haven't seen him. I hope that no one in this world experiences child abuse because that's what I experienced as a kid. And that list goes on and on and on. And these were raw, honest, real sufferings that people were able to transform into a hope. And because of that moment, we created a space for compassion to grow together because we could share that conversation together. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. And so I'd actually like to do that project with you guys right now. We're going to do it in a little bit different way, but y'all should have received a little piece of brown paper um, with a piece of twine attached to it. And what I'd like us to do is we're going to take 60 seconds here um, shortly and write your hope on there. Just, I hope for, and then fill in the blank. And whatever comes to the top of your mind, write it down. It can be a hope for yourself. It can be a hope for the world. It can be a hope for a family member. It can be a hope for this community here at VPC. Whatever that means to you, I hope for blank. And then after, um, at the offering, we're going to put those in the offering bowl and then when you all leave the sanctuary today you'll be taking one uh, another person's out with you today um, to take home and hold dear to your heart throughout this week and throughout this entire summer of compassion as a way for us to exchange our stories of compassion with one another so let's take that um, just about a minute right now and uh, write that during one of my seminary classes up at sfts uh, my theology professor Dr. Wendy Farley reminded uh, me and my colleagues of this. Compassion is fierce. I love that. (laughs) Friends, God is fiercely compassionate towards you. The Spirit is always there to give you peace and strength and courage and whatever you need in those times of suffering. And when you're strong, you have that same spirit, that same fierce power in you that you can use to alleviate the suffering of others. That's this magic web we live in. I think that's pretty cool. So may we all have fierce compassion for ourselves and for our entire world. May we share that hope with one another. Amen.